Yo, 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 what is good, Advanced Pro Basketball Show listeners? We got a dope discussion for y'all, not specifically NBA, because we are going to talk about some prospects, but it's all going to be on this umbrella theme of bigs. And to do that, we have my main man, Alex Brown, on the line. Alex, how's it going, my, my man? It's going well. I'm glad to get back on the show. It's been quite a while. Yeah, I mean, it's been a minute since you've hopped on, and then it's been a long time since Armai or Ian hasn't been on, I feel like. So it's a yeah. it's a, it's a a whole different dynamic, um, but I'm pumped to discuss a little bit uh, with you. And honestly, the conversation, the big topic started from me just wanting to discuss Embiid and Jokic and why their seasons are, you know, on another scale um, than, than previous you know, seasons that they've had, they're both in the MVP discussion. And that's a whole nother debate to bring in all other positions as well. But um, I was like, you know what, Embiid versus Jokic is very interesting. It also ties into, you know, we can talk about other types of bigs, you know, Bam is a very interesting uh, case there and, and going completely small. And we've talked about that a little bit, but I want to focus on Embiid and Jokic. And then we're going to get to three prospects that you uh, came up and, and I'll tease them right here. Evan Mobley, Kai Jones or K Jones, hopefully I'm saying Kai Jones. Kai. Kai Jones uh, and Jay Huff um, are three bigs that you decide to talk about. I, I actually don't know much about them. Evan Mobley, I've, I've seen highlight clips here and there. The other two, I haven't uh, really watched as much. So I'm very uh, curious to uh, get your insights on them, first of all. But sure. that's going to be at the end of the, or after the first discussion. Jokic versus Embiid. I'm going to toss it to you first in terms of what style do you prefer and how different do you think they actually are? Because I did some digging with the numbers and, and why they're doing better. I think it's actually somewhat more simple than a lot of people uh, give credence to. And I'm going to tease that. But let me get your uh, uh, intro, uh, insights first. To yeah. yeah, well, I mean, obviously, these, these two guys are having their most dominant seasons so far. And I think you've seen both of these guys take a step as um, – they've grown more comfortable in that high usage role as either the hub or the number one option. And I, I personally prefer Jokic. I, I have them both in the same tier as far as the two best bigs in the league. Um, Cause they're probably the only bigs you can truly run your offense through. And Jokic for me, I think successfully run know, your offense through. Cause I feel like they successfully, heat, because, of course, because yeah. the, cause the theoretically, heat, yeah, because the Heat kind of run things through Bam, but, you know, when Jimmy's out and when Jimmy's in, it's just like a whole nother thing, right? Yeah. Um, and these are, yeah, but go ahead, i cut you off. Yeah, uh, to clarify, uh, I'm not talking about just hubs in general. I'm talking about guys that can be that number one creator or yeah. that number one uh, playmaker, scoring option. You're number one guy in general. There are quite a few hub bigs that are, that are interesting, like Bam does it a lot, as you mentioned. But... Um, I think these guys stand alone as far as guys that are going to be people that you can re well bigs that you can rely on that are going to take you into the playoffs and and deep into it. But that forty percent assist rate for Jokic is a statistic that I mean you typically see out of the best guards in the NBA, and having a big that can operate as your number one option while putting up the type of playmaking numbers that he does. Uh, is a super rare thing because it allows you to play more scoring guards and uh, 
have wings create around him. So I, I think it his archetype brings out the value in the Jamal Murray's um, and the wing shooters that they're lacking a little bit of right now. Uh, so my personal preference would be towards Jokic. But um, Embiid is clearly very dominant in his side, but I think he needs other pieces to really um, push his team forward because he's not going to bring out the best in everyone as much as Jokic does. For sure. And I, I think that's a very good point. Uh, one is more brute force. Uh, one is more, you know, finesse. And even though Embiid has a lot of finesse, this is very, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, ex- extreme put it put one to one bucket and other to other bucket type of talk here um but Embiid the the thing that really separates them besides from the uh passing uh like why is Embiid having such a dominant season when he doesn't have this let me make my whole team better type thing that you could tangibly point to for Jokic um it's it's the foul rate he's he he gets to the line a lot. Hold up. Let me get the actual numbers, because um, it, it's it is a quite a big difference. You. It's sixty six point eight percent this year, which it, is a career high. By a lot, though. It's a it's a career that's high. More than double Jokic's. It's more than double Jokic's, and it's a career high by over ten percentage points, um, in terms of free throw rate. How often he gets to the line. He's also shooting, and this is the more uh more like basic thing that is, is kind of simple in terms of why are Embiid and Jokic this much better these this year than other years they're just making a lot more shots um Embiid is shooting 38 percent his his best before that from the three from the three-point line his best before that was 36 and a half but that was his rookie year after that it was 30 percent 30 percent 33 percent like that five percentage point difference from last year to this year is huge because that allows him to pull people out for a heavier contest and his footwork and 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 smarts allows him to you know and his handle for a for a big man at his size allows that just that extra step or that extra oomph in the closeout to make him do other things and then other than that he's he's killer in the post his footwork is ridiculous i think that's one thing actually that's very similar to both Embiid and Jokic they're very crafty in the post um and they both draw a double and Embiid's doing more with that double now i think that that than he than he used to but he's also just getting to the line a lot more than than Jokic yeah. does like Jokic punishes them so let's say 20% of the time, they both do the same amount of like, okay, let, let, we get to the line or whatever. That other extra that Embiid and Jokic get, Embiid is going to the line and Jokic is making a play for someone else. And that elevates you know, their, their teams in a, in a way that, that we obviously see. And the other thing that kind of relates is they're shooting insane efficiency from the mid-range. They're both shooting around 50% of their shots from the mid-range. Um, and they're shooting, hold on, let me get the accuracy numbers right here. Embiid's shooting 54% on all mid-ranges, mid-rangers. That's pretty insane. Yeah, and, and Jokic is shooting uh, 48%. Oh, sorry, no, sorry, 55%. <laughs> shooting 55%. 48 was the percentage of shots coming from the mid-range. So mm. both are just killer in the mid-range face-up. And what that does is... Sorry, go ahead. I'm talking too much. You were going to say something. No, I was just going to add, uh, even with uh, 
Embiid, uh, a telling sign of that mid-range development. He shot on on 16 feet to three-point uh, range. He's shooting 63% from the mid-range. As comparatively last year, he was at 35 and has been hovering around that since uh, his rookie year. It's kind of been regressing up until now. That's a massive jump as far as uh, – you know, adding to your offensive arsenal because that's going to change the ability to own your space uh, even further than he already had because he's arguably the guy, the best, well, as far as bigs go, he's probably the number one guy as far as being able to own his space, you know, get to his spots. And the more spots he has, you know, the more dangerous he is. And if this is becoming a, a staple in his offense, I mean – uh, he just becomes that much more dangerous in the half court. Well, if you and if you take that, if you take the comment that I made about you know the a little bit of extra effort on the closeout to just the a lot what shot you want to allow these guys overall. So when Embiid is hitting thirty eight percent of his threes and then you know fifty percent of his mid range or sixty percent from that from that extended range and uh, per instant the reason why the mid range isn't as high as Jokic is because his floaters um, are not that great um for <laughs> for for Embiid so if you just take out floaters it's like he has these two areas that you were all very comfortable letting him have right if you were guarding Embiid you're like all right let him shoot threes like if he's going to beat us through that that's fine and then let him shoot face up mid-rangers or, or let him just shoot those long mid-rangers because if he gets into the into the paint we're gonna have to foul him because we can't stop him um but yeah. now the shots that you're down to allow have become somewhat of his bread and butter, butter, which allows him to get to his actual bread and butter a lot more because now you're more scared and putting more effort towards uh, not allowing the shots that you were once down to allow, which was his weakness in, in the beginning, which was what you don't want him to do or what you wanted him to do anyway. Um, so that whole dynamic shifts the entire team. Plus, and then, and then you get to the other side of the ball with Embiid and, and Jokic. Uh, Embiid is just like, an insane defender, right? But he's also, I think, uh, a reason why he's a lot better at defense and chose a lot better at defense than a lot of other players, not just because he's amazing, but it's because he has maybe arguably the best supporting defensive cast around him as well, um, which allows him which allows him to, uh, you know, play a little bit more risky because someone else is going to be, be, be behind him. Uh, it, it, he's not going to get stuck on islands as much. Um, because everyone else around him is, is a lot quicker and, and can cover for him and, and all that. And Ben Simmons being that, you know, almost all defensive player type of player next to Embiid uh, helps out a lot. So I think um, that also plays into it. But, I mean, he's just the offensive hub in, in a way that we haven't seen. But it also makes me think, it, like, how likely do you think it is for him to regress from these insane shooting splits? Because it really is just he's, he's making more shots which leads him to get to the line more, which leads him to get more points. He's also shooting like five percentage points better from the free throw line, getting there a lot more than he used to. Uh, let me get those actual numbers for you. Free throw He's percentage. 85, I think. 85, yeah. which is a career high similar to, you know, three, four years ago. But be- the past couple yeah. seasons, it's been It's like 11 82. free throws a game or something <laughs> ridiculous too, which is, you know, free throws are some of the highest efficiency plays you can get. So, oh. I mean, talking about owning your space, that is a... 
as super valuable. And, and I misspoke. But, that's that's five percentage points more than his next best season. It's not. Oh, a, okay. It's a so it is a career career high um, by five percentage points. I was looking at Jokic's numbers, who's also shooting eighty five percent. Like the similar the similarities are, yeah. are actually more than you would think. Um, besides for little specific um, things. But yeah, I agree. And to answer your question about regression, I think based off. I mean, historical evidence and just looking at guys that go through these um, these really hot streaks from mid-range. It seldom lasts as, as at the rate that you're seeing. I mean, you know, basically doubling your percentage from a spot on the floor and sustaining that, uh, that's, so, that's pretty unheard of for the long run. I mean, there are guys that that do it, but I think I think it'll change the way defenses play him in the long run. You know, guys, if he really is shooting, you know, if he stays shooting sixty percent from mid range or you know high fifties, guys are gonna you know have to play him out there, and they're gonna have to change schematically. Uh, like, okay, if he attacks, now we're gonna send another guy at him instantly and make him pass that ball off or. You know, we're not going to allow him to, you know, we're going to try to deny him the ball at the top of the key. Just any anything they can do to force those numbers down, they're going to try and do. Um, so I don't think it's sustainable just because of how high it is and the way teams should adjust. Yeah, and I mean, it's the exact same thing for Jokic. I mean, 55% on all, on all mid-rangers. He's shooting 40%. Um, from the three-point line this year, which is also a uh, career high, although he's had another decent shooting season earlier on. But um, the assist rate actually, assist per usage has actually stayed the same uh, for Jokic per uh, cleaning yes. the glass. So, like, he's still playing the way he's doing it, but that's what makes great players great is that you up the usage or up the minutes. For example, Jokic, his usage is fairly similar, but he's playing to past years, um, but he's playing five more four more minutes per game 35 and a half minutes yeah. per game and bead he is playing you would say maybe only 32 minutes but he has but you know last year was 29 and a half and his and his uh usage is actually up as well for Embiid. For um so he's playing a little bit more minutes using the ball a little bit more as well um uh, making all these shots and and i think that's really the one point i wanted to make is like when when these guys are making shots and and they're demanding double teams in the in the paint, it's just gonna open up a lot more um, for everyone else. Uh, so that's yeah. that, that's kind of my main thing. And then it also I I wanted to get to this topic because of like you know five years ago maybe when was it when people were just like oh the big man's dead, like be- <laughs> before Embiid started playing before Jokic really uh, you know blew up and and Cat was you know still a rookie or, or they kind of all came about around the same time um it was just like oh who's the big man who's, who's the best big man in the league like Marc Gasol was and, and Joakim Noah you know were winning defensive players oh, yeah. of the other years and getting into you know some MV, top five that. MVP uh discussions um like that was legitimate it was like Marc Gasol versus Joakim Noah was it was you know the best big in the league debate at, at one point uh, Joakim, fun fact, was my favorite player on the Bulls oh, growing yeah. up. Easy. By e- far. Easy. By, him and Derrick Rose, I was like, oh. <laughs> that's that. They solidified my Bulls uh, 
fan for life, you know. Hundred <laughs> um, percent, man. Yeah, it's it's definitely changed, and I I think it's because you know back if you look at the analytics behind that, just basic stuff like points per possession in the post. There there were so many teams that ran offenses down low. You know, they ran through the post or they ran through your big man. And teams started to realize that that's not the most efficient offense we can get. And so to keep up with the changing game, teams are going to move away and say, okay, well, we should shoot more threes, more perimeter-oriented offense. You know, you've heard the narrative. But when you have guys that are this efficient in the half court, and can create enough for others uh, to be worthy of that high usage, you can totally run a winning team through a big. It's just so much harder to do that nowadays. You know, the barriers to entry are, are higher. And I think that just shows how special these two players are as far as uh, being valuable team building guys. Because you can't build, it, it's very, very difficult to build around a big now. So it's very interesting. They're, they're in a tier of their own and their efficiency is, you know, what allows them to be in the position they are. And if you can find anybody like that, you're, I mean, you're pretty set. You know, it's also slightly, it's not funny, but it's just interesting. Like I'm looking at instead right, right now, post-ups um, per possession for, for Embiid. It's, 0.72 points per possession and it's by far yeah, it's still not that good. it's by far his most uh prevalent um play type at 40 percent of his his plays Jokic, yeah. it's it's not as dominant of a play type only 28 percent 28.7 percent but still 0.82 points per possession which is not that great um but i think them them knowing that they're gonna get their touches and the amount of total plays that that 40% maybe makes up being not as detrimental and allows them to get to everywhere else they want to get to and be maybe more efficient and engaged in other play types because they're getting those touches. I think that's that's some sort of, that has an effect that is a little bit more intricate to, to quantify. Like how much, how much do we need to let him get the ball in the post, which is not the best effective possession uh, from a points per possession standpoint, but how much does that lift all the other possession types to a maybe more efficient level because he's more engaged and more you know willing to do the non post ups because he's getting that number of post ups to begin with and and I think that yeah. balance is, is very like extremely interesting. We've seen it go both ways for a lot of different players like Embiid's yeah. had problems saying like oh I need to get the ball more down low and whatever, um, which leads to other yeah, things. That's an interesting point. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, you know, how much does that get guys in rhythm? How how does it keep them engaged? And that's on the coaching side where they're going to have to speak to that. That's something that I don't know if we can, you know, speak to as you know analysts or fans. No, 100%. But um, yeah, it is very very interesting because you know you also have these guys where you want to give them enough post touches in the regular season so that come playoff time, if you need a bucket. Here's two guys that are going to be able to give, you know, give you one whenever you need it. I 100%. mean, in theory, that you know, that's how Kobe was saying. He was like, "Hey, if you need a bucket, you need to be able to play in the post when it matters." You you, you need know? it, and and you know, mid range so, shots are probably most valuable in in the playoffs. So if if you're gonna get someone, get these well, guys more valuable, yeah, m- more valuable than they are normally. So anyway, 
Future of the Bigs is, is kind of a topic that, that we opened up a little bit with uh, Gasol and, and Noah turning into Jokic and Embiid. So so yeah. let me let me use that as a transition point uh, to, sure. to, to talk about some big prospects, uh, big, literal big prospects. Um, and they're all, you know, their own version of a prospect themselves. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. Evan Mobley, <laughs> let, let me let me know what you're thinking. And why did you choose these three players uh, specifically? Um, and yeah, I'm going to let you take it away from here. Sure. So Evan Mobley is, is far and away the number one big prospect uh, in this draft class. He's going to be the guy that's going to get into that number one, number two conversation. And it's because he has all the physical tools you know, he's like seven foot. Uh, he's, he's rather thin, but he's incredibly mobile on defense. He's one of those guys that can literally defend one through five in a lot of situations. And he processes the game at such a high level that he's looking like one of those. Uh, and I'm not saying he's going to get to that level, but he looks like one of those bigs where you can run an offense through. If he can add to his creation package and have that threat like Jokic and Embiid, uh, they do, he could be a guy that's going to command a high usage moving into, uh, you know, maybe when he's 25, 26 in his NBA career. But he can shoot it. He can, you know, defend at any level. Uh, and he can attack off the dribble. So he's a very, very intriguing big that is – you know, very rare in general to have a guy with his size and mobility that can process the game like that. So he's he's going to be a very special player. Seven foot. Would you would you say so? What do you have a comp? A comparison for him? Um, that's a good question. I typically don't. I don't typically use player comparisons often okay. unless uh, as far as role goes i think he can be a higher usage guy that he'd kind of be a and this is this is on role alone eventually not uh skills but um he could play in that bam uh like kind of a mix between uh and bead Jokic and bam honestly he has kind of a mix of all those skills in there because he can pass the ball he can shoot it a little bit uh, and he can attack off DHOs and such and be that hub like Bam can. But, um, yeah, maybe I'd say he's just between Jokic and um, and Bam a little bit, just as far as having valuable skills. He still doesn't have the creation that you'd want to see, but he has skills that they possess that are going to be valuable. So everything you're saying is is like, okay, well, this guy is amazing so give me give me give me what you know maybe might not pan out or, or why wouldn't he become you know all-star all NBA because these guys are like best players in the league type levels uh yes. so so like you know i think you know yeah, what i'm asking I, got you. <laughs> I do so this is back to a topic we touched on earlier the topic of owning your space on offense and on defense you know, the ability to get to your spots whenever you need to get to them. And Jokic and Embiid are arguably the best bigs that, I mean, Yo I would say Embiid is the best in the league. 
uh, as far as bigs go at getting to his spots and owning his space. And we see that this year, especially with the high free throw rate and, you know, the historic production he's showing because he has that physical dominance and elite footwork and, you know, all those things we touched on earlier. Mobley has a much slighter frame. You know, he's only 210 pounds. Um, he pos- he possesses the ability to own his space on defense. I think it may be even better than Embiid. But on offense, I don't know if he's going to be that guy that's going to be able to get you a bucket when you need it. So that's where he may be closer to Bam as far as owning his space on offense. He's going to be a guy that's going to have to play in the flow and be that hub that can create for others while maybe not being your number one creating piece. And so, so that's that's really the concern is can he get to that spot, get to his spots consistently? Can he add muscle? Can he own his space? But you're confident with him being like a defensive hub type of... I think he is going to be, and I'm very critical on defense, I think he's going to be an elite defender For sure. as far as versatility goes. I mean, I, I don't see how you could find a more uh, effective defensive big for the modern game a guy that can literally switch any position high iq i mean he's you built him in a lab on defense i got you i got you for sure so let's yeah let's move on then kai jones is next on your list let me g- give me the rundown so kai jones and he's kind of similar uh athletically to mobley he's a little bit better of an athlete he's 611 sophomore from texas he's about 218 pounds, if I recall properly. Uh, he's from the Bahamas. He has some of the more interesting uh, uh, flashes uh, of any prospect as a big. Some people have him as high as top 15. Some people have him as a certified first rounder, uh, which I had him there last year, but he didn't really uh, pan out until now. But he is another big that's going to be incredibly versatile on defense, similar to Mobley, but perhaps a tier down um, as far as owning his space and creating events. He's one of those guys that's going to you know, be able to slide on and guard multiple positions, protect the rim, and you know, generate steals and slide with guards on the perimeter. But his issue and the major separating factor between him and Mobley is that ability to process the game, you know, the mental side, Uh, because he's struggled with the decision-making and, uh, and just keeping himself in check mentally. You know, he, he struggles to stay on the floor because he fouls so often, you know, he really gets in foul trouble. Um, and just kind of plays a little out of control at times. So while Mobley is kind of more of that controlled, um, you know, controlled, versatile, and athletic, Kai is a little more wild and, you know, trying to make plays everywhere. And, you know, it's like, well, do you put a saddle on a Mustang? You know, that's going to be the uh, question we're going to be asking with Kai, I think, um, is can he stay on the floor without fouling? And can he produce on offense? Uh, which I should touch on, of course. Um, he's only averaging eight points per game and not even assists per game. 
So he's not really a guy that's going to be a creating piece for you, but he's a super athletic role man. He's he's going to throw down some monster dunks. And he's shown he can shoot the three. He's shooting 41% uh, in conference this year. Uh, and overall, I think he's shooting 45% on just one uh, 1.3 attempts per game. So he can be kind of a low-volume floor stretcher, which is uh, intriguing to me. Well, if, um, if, yeah. if you can play that role on offense and then be that defensive hub, I think you have, like, a long career. It, it just, in yeah. ge- just in general. Because um, a lot of the time when, when you're that hub on defense, you're trying to find the value that you can bring on offense when everything's going through the guards or the wings or, or whatever. Um, and, and, when you're, and when you're not there in terms of, you know, if you're not Jokic and Beat or Cat or, or even, you know, Bam, who's, who's starting to become more hubby on the, on the offensive end, um, you know, and, and a, lot of other, a lot of other players, it's, it's tough to keep them aside or, or not aside, but in a way they're not, they're don't, they don't need too many touches. So if he's down to accept that, like, spot up, role on offense while also being a great you know roller uh on on a pick and roll i think that's almost ideal in terms of a big man that that maybe is going to be your third or fourth uh best player on your team if it's going to start I, i'm just talking roles i don't know yeah, yeah. too specific uh with, with how kai jones plays but everything that you're saying makes me extremely intrigued by the prospect yeah, and the question, again, is can he adapt to the mental side of the game, continue growing? He's shown growth from last year, but, you know, how far is it going to be? Uh, how far is it going to let him go? And if if it continues to grow, you know, he could be a really, really effective starter. If it kind of plateaus off, I think he's still a really valuable defensive role player. So he's going to have a role in the league for a long time. The question is, you know, how great is he going to be? Can he keep up the mental side? It's always so the he'd question. He'd be a very intriguing one to uh, to do some intel work on and get to know as a coach, you know, or a GM. He's going to be a intel pick. Dope, dope, and I'm and I'm loving this um, insight into the into the draft uh, right now. And, and you tier these bigs. Uh, step by step, kind of. So Mobley, you know, top three potentially. Kai Jones, first round. We'll see where he actually ends up by the by the draft, actually. Um, and then Jay Huff is the third player you listed, kind of second round, maybe late second round, is is where you have him pegged at. Um, so yeah, give me the rundown on Jay. Yeah, so I, I've watched a ton of Virginia this year. I've watched uh, every game because I've you know been scouting a lot of their guys. And Jay Huff is a guy that's always stood out to me ever since that uh, 2018 championship run they had, uh, you know, on the 18-19 season. He was a role player that could come off the bench, shoot the three, and protect the rim. So he's kind of one of those guys that you could see coming off the bench in the NBA as your drop five and a stretch five. And at 7'1", 240 pounds, uh, that's that's a rare thing to find. And he's a legit 7'1". I mean, he's 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 pretty big. And I mean, he's screaming he also, Luke Cornett to me. From the yeah, stat, from so the from the stats, like, the 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 measurables, everything I'm seeing just off you know a couple pages here, it's screaming Luke Cornett. Well. <laughs> I've thought of that as well. Trust me. Um, and I think 
Worst case scenario, he could be a Luke Cornett. Uh, I think he processes the game a lot better, though, uh, because now, and this is a kind of the transition I wanted to make into that, this year in Virginia, you know, as a senior, he's kind of been used at the, as that offensive hub, as well as that pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop specialist guy um, on offense. And so you see him being the guy that's making the reads in high-low, you know, attacking zones. Uh, you see him having a larger role as as a playmaker in general, and he's done quite well uh, in that situation. I mean, the numbers really haven't adjusted significantly because of Virginia's offense and how stagnant it is, but he's going to be a guy that's going to make the right decisions in the half court and create plays for others before getting his own. And I think in a role player, that's really valuable. Uh, you know, I, I've seen Cornette kind of be a little, uh, a little free with his shot selection. Uh, yeah. He was at the Bulls a little bit. And, you know, Huff's not going to be a guy that's going to take, you know, five plus threes a game. He's going to pick his spots really well. And he's going to execute on them. And so finding a guy that's going to be uh, playing that type of role on your bench is a really rare thing. And I think that makes him a valuable pickup in the second round. I, th- I think that also goes into a little bit of the team philosophy and like how the coach is, is building these players up. Because I think, you know, Cornette or, you know, in this case, uh, Jay Huff um, or any player like that that might get trigger happy, you know, in a way that, you know, they're not the best player on the team or they're not, you know, leading uh, the team's usage or, or, or whatever. I think there are there is something to be said about coaches saying, yo, this is what you're here to do. If you see an open shot, take it, um, and and then that can get players, you know, a little bit more confident um, and and comfortable taking the shots because you also don't want them giving up easy shots. I'd rather a player take, you know, a couple extra shots uh, because I told them to be confident and let it fly than passing up one or two shots um, that that he should be taking when he's open and and, and doesn't have the confidence because I feel like you can I feel like you can tone it down but it's harder to get them to 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 scale it up maybe i don't know that's that's kind of my uh thought on that oh yeah that's and that's a good conversation to be having with with huff but i would be more encouraged because he comes from virginia a system that is pretty much designed to take away bad looks in the half court it's it's very very slow pace you know very set based and it's not a free offense where you're going to be taking, you know, you're going to have the freedom to take those shots. So that's when, you know, looking into his character is going to be important to say, okay, can he be that guy that's going to up his volume and execute on it? You know, because right now we, we realize he's playing at one of the slower paces in the country. Uh, So, you know, can we change that? You know, how's he going to adapt to an NBA system? But, in that slow pace, when he's picking his spots and playing in the flow of the offense, he is one of the most impactful players in the country statistically, and he has been every year. I mean, he has like Killian Tilly-esque impact for anybody that really studied Killian Tilly. Um, and his, I mean, his BPM is higher than Evan Mobley's. And uh, on defense, even his freshman year, it was higher. So 
I mean, granted, it was low minutes, but yeah. He's also, drop super impactful. Drop coverage usage. is a lot more effective, I think, in college than the, oh, yeah. the, it can be exploited a lot but, more. It it does work in the NBA, but it can be exploited a lot more, especially come yes. playoff time. Not yeah, that. especially when you're a seven-one guy that can move well in college. I mean, that's if you have a drop five like that, that's that's pretty valuable. But he's not just a drop five, uh, which I think is also worth noting because Virginia has him hedging on the perimeter, like hard hedging, not just playing show. Mm-hmm. And he, they have him switch on the guards occasionally. I mean, that whole system, that pack line defense puts guys in those types of situations where he's going to have to come out and pressure the ball occasionally. He doesn't often because of the, you know, that's just, it's a hard, it's hard to, for uh, an offense to bring the big out in pack line, but uh, you see it with Trey Murphy, you see it with Sam Hauser and you see it with Huff. They have to uh, play in these tough situations and they've, they really excelled in it. And especially Huff. Uh, so uh, I'm really confident in him being an impact player on both ends uh, off your bench. For sure. And and I'm still looking for that guy that um, is basically just Olenek hot game or My- Myers Leonard hot game or like, you know, but like <laughs> semi-consistently, you know, semi-consistently, I, I guess that I guess that gets you into like towns territory where you're just taking you know eight threes a game eight threes a game and and knocking them down at 40 percent plus um and and all that stuff that that the town has been towns has been known to do and no one else that's why i'm I'm always so intrigued by uh marketing because he's theoretically that guy and like he's been getting better but injuries and the inconsistencies always in boylan's situation yeah but this season he's coming back then injuries and, and and all that so like there's not that that type of player doesn't really come through that often the the big because i feel like if it does you can get your shot off regardless of any closeout or whatever if you're if you're seven foot and knocking down the these shots um so so i'm still waiting for that that player that's like consistently doesn't require to be the offensive hub but lets it fly like none other and keeps the efficiency i feel like that player is gonna happen one day it's it's gonna ha- but like you know I don't want to wait for uh, random game seven for Olinick to pop off or like Myers Leonard to randomly have like an amazing game for Portland that one year or was it the Heat I don't know but like they 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 have these yeah. games but that's like the the limit of their archetype is like this is what this guy can do you know but when are we gonna see that you know borderline All Star level player that is that good at shooting that fits this archetype i don't know if it's even possible just because of yeah i don't know but like i think you have to have more forms of advantage creation other than that Uh, it's so dependent role players very dependent type of players for sure um if you want to look at a guy that may end up being one of those guys that not not a all-star level guy by any means but a role player that's going to let it fly from deep that's impossible to close out on check out connor vanover on arkansas connor vanover for sure He's seven foot three, two hundred and forty pounds, and he he lets it fly from deep. I mean, he's he's not shy about it at all. Uh, just, he's he's kind of a fun player that may declare next year that he's he could be a stretch five for a team, kind of same archetype a little bit uh, that we've been discussing, but um, not not as effective. I just want an eighteen really point fun. per game, forty five percent from three shooter with like. That's too much to ask with, with, for. With, with like you know, 
15% usage, like no usage at all. Only thing he does is shoot shoot threes on, on offense. That's all I wanted. You know, I'm joking. Uh, but you know, hey, I just to to be fair, I tweeted out something. Uh, I think it was yesterday about guys with just over 15% usage that just stroked it from deep. Oh, did and you? That's so crazy. <laughs> That's crazy I that I used those yeah, numbers I said, specifically. It, it was on the wing side. Okay. Um, but all-time college wings, so height of six, seven, or greater. Um, and then there was a bunch of criteria, like really high offensive rating, BPM, positive defenders, and then 48% three-point shooters. Uh, and then, you know, 69% true shooting and a usage above 15%. Oh, my God. So 16, all time. So literally strictly spot-up shooters, essentially. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the floor stretchers. Like, and the only two all-time are in this draft class, potentially, and that's Trey Murphy from Virginia and Corey Kispert uh, from Gonzaga. That That's all that that's all there is. And they're shooting 80% and, and 71.9% at the rim. So talk about guys that are going to really stretch the floor and potentially do nothing else. You should look at Trey Murphy from Virginia. <laughs> that dude just shoots the ball. Uh, he shoots the lights out, man. I mean, he's at, I think he's at 48%. Kispert is the best shooter in the country, though. Um, but there are those guys that are just wings now, you know? And it makes more sense for them to be Well, wings. yeah. I mean, that that's why that's not as... I think that wing archetype is definitely, you know, shooters with... And those players, you know, can be run out of the leagues a, a, a couple times, you know, like um, with the case of... Uh, who's who, who was in China going crazy but didn't stay in the league? Jimmer. Jimmer. There you go. Yeah, Jimmer was <laughs> yeah. the guy I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, or... but he didn't add any value on defense. Exactly, and that's the general else. problem. That's yeah, the, yeah. that's the general problem. Like Nick Stauskas was supposed to be like an amazing shooter, and like you know he's had his yeah. spots. He was in awesome that. in college. Yeah, and, and all that. Um, so, but I want that big archetype to stick. You know, somewhat, and and you know you see them stick in Olenek and Myers Leonard and yeah. and um, Cornet. I guess he's still getting minutes for the Bulls. Uh, but it's it's tough to really be a, yeah, that, that's a, main a tough factor. one to find, man. Main factor. There I you mean, go. It's the undervalued under um, the players that don't really exist that much is, is where you got to look at for for some edges. <laughs> it's not it's not my hey, ideal Jay player. Jay Huff is shooting forty six percent from three. If I didn't mention that. There there you I go. Mean, I saw that, a... and that's why I'm gonna keep my eye on Jay Huff really closely. Yeah, Jay for, Huff. From watch that on. Virginia team, man. They have some shooters. All right, man. Well, this was a dope conversation. I was gonna, you know, we were talking about how we should keep it short or whatever, but full length, full length on the on the bigs talk. Um, I'm always down oh, to, to to chat all about these um, different, you know, type of players. And I kind of like this positional specific specific episode. We might need to do one of these for for other positions um, coming up. But regardless, appreciate you hopping on, man. Um, anything to plug? Did you want to plug that you got out? Uh, not currently. Uh, sure. Most of my work's kind of on the private side right now. For sure. But um, but yeah, mate. Thanks for having me. Glad to have uh have a chance to hop back on the show after a while. And uh, good getting some some big talk in. Some big talk, baby. Let's get it. Big Appreciate talk. everyone uh coming through and listening uh to the APB show. And we'll catch y'all next week with another Euroball show and another, you know, NBA slash prospect slash whatever the hell else we're going to talk about type show. Um, And we'll catch y'all later. Peace.